Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to the fifth week of our series entitled Born for This. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses joining us, South Shore, Gulf Coast Online, Orleans Justice Center. So excited to have you guys again. We are in a six-week series. Uh, I will be finishing it up next week. I want to say something about small groups. Uh, we, we've, I am so grateful. We've had so many testimonies of people being in small groups. We've had over 8,100 people in small groups. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand clap for that? Isn't that awesome? So many of you guys are in small groups. So I want to make a qualifications. I finish the series next week, but your small group doesn't have to finish next week. I want everybody to know that. Small groups go throughout the year. We'll have like breaks in, the, uh, in May we have a break, and in August we have a break, and of course around the holidays and Christmas time we have a break. But, but your small groups, some of you guys have connected in small groups like you've never connected before. So here's what I want you to do. You need to be talking these next couple weeks. Hey, are we continuing? What are we studying next? What, we have a lot of opportunity, a lot of different material that we're going to be encouraging the, the over 800 different small groups to do, all right? If your particular small group is not continuing, then we'd love to be able to help you to find one, all right? We are in a six-week series talking about why I believe from the Bible that God has placed us on the earth. Week one, we said that we were born to know God. That the whole purpose of our existence ultimately is to know God. Number two, we said that we've been born to grow. That God never created anybody to remain stagnant. That growth and progression in every area of our lives, that's the will of God. Week three, we talked about born for generosity. Last week, we talked about that we were born for relationship. God has created you and I to connect with one another. There's no such thing as a healthy island, you know, or just me and Jesus. No, it's you and Jesus and his family walking this thing out together called the Christian life. Today, I want to talk to you about born to make a difference. Born to make a difference. This week, like I said, I had a, about 30 pastors uh, in town. One of them, uh, Greg Surratt, who runs, uh, who's the president, uh, he pastors Seacoast Church, amazing church in Charleston, South Carolina, but he also is the president of what's called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. We've been part of it a long time. It's a church planning network, and we've given to the, towards that, and a matter of fact, Pastor Jason Robinson, planning a church in Houston, he went through their process, and so we love Greg. He's an amazing pastor, and he taught our staff. Once a month, we have a staff meeting, a team meeting. And, and the way he began was so powerful and profound, and I thought it would fit in our message because here's what he talked about. He said, has it ever dawned on you that when you were born and placed on this earth that it wasn't an accident? He then went on to say, has it ever dawned on you that when you became a Christian that the fact that God did not immediately take you to heaven, there's a reason why. And then he said, I want everybody to take their fingers out. I'm going to ask everybody to take their fingers out right now. Can you just do this? Your two fingers right now. Okay. Yeah. I want you to find your pulse in your neck. Can you just find your pulse? Okay, good. If you didn't find it, find it. You're, you're in heaven right now. You're, you're not even here. You're not even hearing me. Okay, you feel it? Okay, you feel the pulse? Okay. The very fact that you could find your pulse, watch this, means that you're alive. And the very fact that you're alive down here as a Christian means that God still has a purpose for your life to make a difference. 
When you stop feeling this, you're worshiping Jesus. But as long as you feel this, your purpose is not completed. My job as a pastor, number one, is to help people to know God, to, 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 to teach and preach who Christ is, that, that he is the only mediator between him and that going through Christ and trusting Christ as your Savior. Your sins are forgiven. You'll know God for eternity. But number two is to get you to fulfill your purpose. So that when we stand before God one day, that we can hear these words. Well done, thy good and what? Not successful servant. Well, well done, thy good and what? Say it. Faithful. Faithful what? Faithful to become and do what God called you to be and do. That's your purpose. God has called you to fulfill your purpose. If you don't know that... If you think that life is just about, oh, i got to go to college, okay, I get married, I do this, you know, and then I eat a little gumbo, watch a little football, and then I retire in Florida. That doesn't sound bad. But anyway, no, there's, there's got to be a little bit more than that. Okay, there's got to be a little bit more than that. Because somebody, listen, somebody that's got, I believe you can retire from your job, but you never retire from your purpose. Your job is your vocation. Your purpose is to make a difference in the lives of people. It's interesting, I, I love reading biographies, I love reading about different men and women that have made an impact uh, on culture, uh, different business people, missionaries, just political leaders, sports figures. And one, of, one of the guys that I've, I've always been intrigued by uh, is, is a man named Art Williams. And some of you maybe were even involved in the 80s with A.L. Williams, but he was, he's a Christian man, still alive today, 74, 75 years old, very thick country accent, I think he's from Conroe, Georgia. He's a football coach, and, and he ended up having this dream about term life insurance. And, he, and, and it was really interesting how, how he did I read his story. It was just amazing. I know some of you probably were involved with that at some point in time. And he sold out at 48 years old. I didn't realize that. 48 years old, under 50, became a billionaire, literally an instant billionaire. And what happened to him, I, I remember seeing his interview one time on the 700 Club, and he talked about that he woke up the next day. There was a little bit of things that he had to do with the firm that bought him out, but, but he woke up the next day, had all this money, but he didn't have a purpose. He actually went into a clinical depression and even came to a point where he questioned his faith in God. Here's a Christian man, all right, who's helping people all over the world, but he lost his, everybody say it with me, his purpose. He lost his purpose and it almost cost him, it almost cost him his life. I don't believe, listen to me, I want to say this closely I, and clearly because I know we have people at all different ages. We have new people that have entered into, quote, retirement. I think you can retire from your job, but you never retire from your purpose. God's purpose for our lives is to make an impact on people. God's purpose for our lives is to make a difference in the lives of people. God's purpose for our lives. Listen, and I understand as a Christian, you get saved, you give your heart to Christ. Sometimes you're going through hell, and you, like the Apostle Paul, goes, I would much rather be in heaven than down here. You ever been there before? I know I have. I've gone through things at times where I thought, man, I'm ready to go to heaven. I mean, my gosh, you know, I'm just ready to go. Matter of fact, Paul the Apostle, Philippians chapter 1, here, here's what he said. He, he talked about this tension, this tension of going to heaven or being here on the earth and the why behind the what. Here's what he said. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I mean, he's got this tension, all right? We're a Christian. Why do we still have a pulse? Why are we on this earth? 
Look what he says in verse 23. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. I know that's my eternal home. I know that's where, I mean, there's no more sorrow. There's no more sighing. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no cancer there. There's no hurt there. There's no betrayal there. In heaven, I'm talking about. Paul says that. I want to go be with Christ, which is far better for me. Much better. It's much better for you, by the way, as a Christian. Much better existence to be in heaven. Much better. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. But for your family's sake, but for your friends that don't know Christ's sake, but for your co-workers that are without God's sake, guess what? It's better that you continue to live. Have you, thought, have you ever thought of that before? Verse 25, look what he says. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive. It's got a pulse. I still have it. Okay, I'm alive. So I can continue to what? Everybody say it. Help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul says, I've got a pulse for a reason. Whenever you're discouraged and you, and, and you ever go, why am I not in heaven? I mean, I'm just ready to go there. I mean, I'm tired of living in hell on earth. Because you're not here because of you. You're here because of God's purpose in your life to help other people. To encourage other people. To lead other people to Christ. To, 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 to lift other people. To help other people to know Christ. Whether it's your family members, your friends. Or whether it's a student next to you in university. Or somebody that works in a cubicle next to you at work. Or... Or, or, or wherever the context is, I, there's that moment, that tension as a Christian that we live in because we've got eternity in our hearts. We've tasted of the powers of the age to come. That's what the Hebrew writer says. We, 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 there's a sense where we want to go and be with Christ in heaven, but, but we're down here. This is going to date me a little bit. Anybody over 40, you know what I'm talking about. We, 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 we sometimes would like to almost have one of those Fred Sanford moments. Elizabeth, I'm coming. It's the big one. You know what I'm talking about. Now, if you don't know that, don't worry about that. Okay? It shows your date. All right? How old you are. He's always right. Elizabeth, she, she just went on to hell. And I, 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 listen, as a pastor, I've had moments where I thought, I, I'm, just ready, I'm just ready to go to heaven but I still have got a pulse. And you've still got a pulse. And the very fact that you have a pulse, there's a purpose for your pulse. Everybody say, I have a purpose. God has a purpose for your life to make a difference. God has a purpose for your life to help people. God has a purpose for your life to encourage people. I'm going to say this. Get ready. Embrace yourself. God has a purpose for your life to lead other people. Oh, Pastor, you lost me. I'm going on Instagram. I know some of y'all think, I'm reading my Bible on my phone. You're a liar. We've got cameras all over the place. We know exactly what's going. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just joking. One of the major fallacies of this whole concept of leadership is people think that the leader or somebody that makes a big difference, they've got a title. They've got this big resume behind them. No, every one of us are called to make a difference, to make an impact, to influence, and to lead other people. Speaking of confusion about titles and what leadership's all about, reminds me of a story about the king of the jungle, the lion. 
He was roaming around an African jungle, and he goes up to the Cape Buffalo, and he goes, Cape Buffalo, who is the king of the jungle? And the Cape Buffalo says, well, that's easy. It's you, sir. You are the king of the jungle. And the lion roars. The lion goes up to the tiger. He says, who is the king of the jungle, Mr. Tiger? The tiger says, well, that's easy. It's you, sir. You are the king of the jungle. And the lion roars. The lion goes up to the elephant. He says, elephant, who is the king of the jungle? And he sticks his chest out like this. And the elephant looks at him and he, and he has his trunk and he, and, he, and he grabs the lion and he picks the lion up and then he slams the lion on the ground and then he twirls the lion around and then he puts him in a pond and he almost drowns the lion and he picks him up and then he throws him against the tree and then he throws him on the ground and the lion, as he's picking himself up, beaten, bruised and battered off the ground, he says to the, to the elephant, listen, if you don't know the answer to the question, you don't have to get mad about it. A title doesn't make you a leader. Influence makes you a leader. Impact makes you a leader. Let me tell you something. If you're in a home and you've got kids, you're a leader. If you're at work and anybody at any level connects with you, you are leading somebody. Unless you're in a Brazilian rainforest by yourself, you're leading somebody. I know that's a word that freaks some people out because they say, well, that's not me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a CEO. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not this big shit. No, 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 no. All of us have been called by God to make a difference. And part of that is to make an impact, to influence people, and to lead other people. You're a leader. That's what God's called you to be, to make a difference, to make an impact. It's interesting when I begin to see in the scripture, I begin to see how God has called and God has raised up Every single one of us that has gifted us and placed gifts and talents and abilities in our life to influence and impact other people. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to dig into where Paul talks about some qualities in the person's life that, that, that they really, these qualities that are necessary in all of our lives to really make an impact. To make a difference on people. Again, this is one of the purposes that God has placed you. Yes, a purpose is to know God. Yes, we were born to know God. Yes, we were born to, to, to grow. Yes, we were born to connect. Yes, we, all of those things. But we were also born to make a difference. To make a difference. John Maxwell, in his best-selling book, The 360-Degree Leader, says this about leadership. He says, if I had to identify, listen to this, listen to this. If I had to identify the number one misconception people have about a leadership is this. Is the misconception and the belief that leadership simply comes from having a position or a title. All of us have to see ourselves that God has called us to lead. By the way, did you know the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, and I don't have time to unpack this, he specifically says that God has given each one of us a sphere of influence, every one of us. So then your role and my role is to steward that sphere. You have a sphere in your home. You have a sphere in work. You have a sphere in your relationship. God has given you a sphere of impact. And we steward over that sphere. How we steward over that sphere is, is part of us, quote, fulfilling, you've been faithful, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It's, it's, we steward over that. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. And by the way, you have things that, that other people don't have. 
There's nobody like you. There may be some shades, some nuances, some similarities, but you are unique. And why is that? Because there is a unique assignment for your life. There is a unique purpose for your life. I had a guy tell me one time, Pastor, I wish you could come down to my business. He was doing a Bible study, a big downtown building in New Orleans. He said, Pastor, I wish you could come down there and do a Bible study. I said, why? Why do you want me to do a Bible study? He was leading a Bible study. It was packed out. It had 20 people. I said, why do you want me to go down there and do that Bible study? He goes, well, I just think you'd do a better job. I said, wait a minute. You have things in you and experiences right off the bat. If I go down there, everybody's walls go up. It's a preacher. No, 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 no. You're doing amazing. Are you kidding me? You're, you're hitting the ball off the park, man. People's lives are being changed. People are getting saved. They're coming to Christ. They're being discipled. You have stuff that I don't have, and you have a unique influence. You have a unique sphere. Everybody say sphere. You have a unique sphere, S-P-H-E-R. You have a sphere of influence that you've got to steward over. Wow. Let's make sure that we're not trying to give our sphere away to somebody else. Let's make sure that we're stewarding what God has given us. All right, four qualities to make an impact. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. I, I love the Apostle Paul. Of course, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The church of Jesus Christ, of course, Jesus started it, right? Told his disciples, go in, go in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was poured out. The first church in the New Testament was in Jerusalem. The second big church was in Antioch, Acts chapter 11. As you go through the book of Acts, you see where Paul is planting different churches. Matter of fact, I'm in my reading right now. Actually, yesterday, I do the Life Journal. If anybody wants to know what I do, go on YouVersion, which is a Bible app, and you can download the Life Journal, or you can just go on it. It's out of a church in Hawaii, and it brings you through uh, the Bible in a year. Actually, my reading yesterday was in Acts 17, talking about this very moment in Paul's life where he was planting this church called the church in Thessalonica, all right? He was only there for three weeks. He was preaching. People were getting saved. Don't miss this. Talking about influence, impact. He was preaching, making disciples. He goes away to another place. He writes the first letter of Thessalonians back to the church at Thessalonica, and he's encouraging them. And in this particular chapter, he's encouraging them where I believe it's qualities of making an impact. All right, let's read this. I'm going to read a little bit more than I usually read. I want to read nine verses, and then we're going to extract out four different qualities that I think that all of us need. Not just the, 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 the Christians in Thessalonica, but all of us need in order to fulfill this fifth purpose, and that's the purpose to make a difference, that God's called us to make a difference. All right, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, back to the church at Thessalonica. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, that's another city, the book of Philippians, all right, he wrote to the church at Philippi, all right, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Watch this. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Now, I wanted to give you context. Now, these next three or four verses are where the four points are. But this is important. Here's the context. He was there for three weeks. He goes away. He planted this church. He's now writing back to him. Watch this. 
nor did we seek glory from men. We didn't do this because we were trying to look like big shots, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have demanded as apostles, but leadership's not about a title. It's about a, a posture of a servant heart. But we were gentle among you. There's another. Just as a nursing mother, that's pretty intimate, cherishes her own children. Verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. This isn't just about words. You show me somebody that's really making an impact for God, and there is a congruency between what they say and what they do. There's not an incongruency. Man, you're always talking about Jesus, but why don't I ever see it in your life? There's a congruency. He said, look, we, didn't, we, we were well pleased to not only impart to you the gospel words, but also our own lives, actions. Did y'all see that? Because you had become dear to us. Look at this last verse. For you remember, brethren, this is, this is good. You remember our toil, how we rolled up our sleeves and our laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We, we preached to you the gospel of God. All right, four qualities to make an impact for God through your life during your time on this earth. Number one, the first thing that I see is that we are to walk humbly. Verse 6 says, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Listen to what I wrote down. In other words, Paul was saying he wasn't looking for recognition from other people. He wasn't looking for accolades. His motive was not, I'm doing this so people can see me. His motive was, I want to help you so that you'll see God. I want to help you. I want to lift you. I want to lead you to Christ. In other words, he saw himself as a servant. Now, I want to say this. There's a lot of confusion about the word humility. Let me tell you what humility isn't, and then I'll tell you what I believe biblically humility is. Let me tell you what humility is not. Humility is not what I call self-abasement and putting yourself down. I'm a loser. I'm a scumbag. I'm an idiot. I'm, a, I'm just stupid. That's not humility. That's called, that's called foolishness. Humility is not walking around trying to beat yourself down. Humility, watch this. Humility is when you're freed from comparing yourself from others and you do not have an opinion more highly than you ought to have of yourself. And it's also, conversely, not having an opinion more lowly than you ought to have of yourself. Can you imagine your kids walking around? <clears throat> it's Christmas. You come in and they go, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know why I'm this, in this family. I don't even know. I don't even deserve anything. I just, I just, I, I'll just stand behind the Christmas tree. Okay, I'll just hold up the little bird on top. You'd be like, get out from behind there. That's not humility. That's, that's just goofiness. Paul the apostle, and this is so important if we want to make an impact for God. We've got to understand what humility is. Let me give you a scripture. This is, the, this is one of the best scriptures in all the Bible, really giving you a level playing field and a clear understanding of what humility is. In my opinion, this, I love this scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Here's what Paul says. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Leave that scripture up for a moment. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But what's the converse of that? Don't think more lowly either. In other words, true godly humility is having an accurate assessment of yourself. That's what it is. 
Because you show me somebody that really knows who they are in God, listen, and they're freed from comparison. Here's what pride does. Here's what pride does. Pride compares. Pride either lifts you up because you're better than your neighbor or pride damns you down because you're not as good as them. So pride is always looking this way. Humility is not looking this way. Humility is looking this way. Humility is saying, God, you've created me. You've put gifts, talents, and abilities. It's, it's not about me, but yet you're using me to help other people. So you're not looking this way. Do I have more than them? Oh, God, I have less than them. Oh, gosh, they're better than me. Oh, gosh, I'm not as good as them. Humility keeps your eyes on Jesus. We understand that our gifts, talents, and abilities are from God, but we also understand that God wants to use our lives. And I love seeing people, listen, I love seeing people that understand that God has gifted them on purpose, for a purpose, to, to utilize their gifts to help other people. And I understand the balance in that. I understand where we give God credit, but we also understand that God is using your God-given gifts to help other people. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me give you an example. I'll walk around after church and do different things and shake hands with people and go to the, just all different places. And if somebody comes up to me and they'll say, Pastor, I, 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 I just want to say, I just want to say, and this will happen fairly routinely. I'm not asking for more of it. I'm just saying it happens. Pastor, you know, prompt, I need this. No. But they'll say, they'll say, Pastor, I just want to say that, that message really helped me today. That, thank you for, thank you for that. Okay, I don't stop and go, wait a minute. That was not me speaking. That was God, 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 God. <laughs> That's weird. I understand the genesis of that is God was utilizing my life, but he was also utilizing God's God-given gifts and talents and abilities to help other people. It's not about me. It's about God. But God's using my gifts to be able to help other people. But they're from God. Does that make sense? So, so there's a balance there. And let me tell you, God's given you guys gifts. You recognize they're from God. You don't compare yourselves with other people, but you also don't deny the fact God's given you gifts. Humility is having an accurate assessment of yourself. Let me tell you what I just love. I love our dream team. I don't know how many people we have on our dream team. I said a couple thousand last week, and then I read a number. It said over 3,000. So, so, so that's a lot of you guys that are serving. And so, You know what I really love? Now, hear, hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying, please. I love everybody that serves on the dream team. Everybody counts. Everybody. But what really is interesting to me is what I know some people that are really, 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 really busy and have a lot of responsibility professionally when I see that they still are embracing the role of serving in the house of God. I'm like, wow, I know what's on their plate. I know the level of responsibility that they have in employees and in this. And it, and it, and it really encourages my heart. I think, wow, this, this, this person, what they're saying is nobody is too good to be a servant in the house of God. Nobody's above that. Maybe that's a better way to say that. I got to tell you something that's really cool. I, I preach at a church uh, in, in Destin. One of my good friends, Steve Agalas, he preaches. He'll be preaching this summer. Steve's awesome. And, and he's a good friend of mine. And he's Greek. His dad was a Greek Orthodox priest. He speaks fluent Greek. And he's just an amazing Bible teacher. And you guys, he, he comes about every other summer. And so uh, he's in Sandestin. We, we actually call him affectionately, you are the apostle of paradise. <laughs> Jesus, send me there. Come on. You, I mean, come on. Give me a break. I mean, that's, the, I mean, wow. Anyway, so, so, so I never forget a couple years ago, I was preaching there. And, you know, we have the, the golf carts and people, will, you know, in our parking lot. So they've got golf carts and people that drive the golf carts can pick it up. And so I walk in and I said, Steve, 
was that Governor Mike Huckabee picking up people in, in a golf cart? He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now, listen, whether you like Fox, CNN, whatever, liberal, Democrat, Republican, independent, I don't relate to anybody. I don't care about that, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying this guy is a very prominent guy in culture, and he, and he loves, he's in this church, he's a member, he loves picking people up in the golf cart. And so he's always on Sunday. So Mike Huckabee lives in Destin, Florida, okay? Doesn't live in Arkansas. He's like in the beach. He used to be in the cornfields. Now he's in the beach. He always loves it. So, so it's really, he goes, he goes, it's really funny when, 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 so he'll come and he sparks. And so when people get in the golf cart, they don't know to say, good morning, governor. Can you sign my Bible? Or I, they don't know what to say. I love that. I love that Mike Huckabee, regardless of where, what you think about him, he's a prominent person in our call. I love the fact that he loves to drive the golf cart. I just think that is so cool. It messes up traffic sometimes over there. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Everybody has been called by God to be a servant. Okay, number one, everybody say humility. Okay, number two, walk in gentleness. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Look what it says right here. I'm just bringing you right through this. Here's what he says. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. It's interesting, in my opinion, to note that Paul uses this word gentleness. And the picture. <laughs> now, guys, by the way, I, I tell guys this all the time. And I'll tell ladies this. Don't get freaked out when you'll see in the Bible where the language may be called sons of God and it's relating to all of us in the same way that men don't be freaked out when Jesus calls you the bride of Christ, okay? Men, God tells us that our posture, now listen to this, because we've never been able to participate in this one action of humanity. As a nursing mother takes care of her children. That's like tender. Are you with me? Wow. So Paul says... Paul says our posture, now listen to me closely. When we're dealing with people, there is a tenderness. There's, an, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a meekness and a tenderness. Now let me qualify. Meekness does not, it's not equivalent to weakness. To be gentle and tender doesn't mean that we cannot, we cannot uh, uh, speak the truth in love. But let's just be honest. The present-day modern leadership paradigm of somebody that's a strong leader, a make-it-happen person, we often characterize them as they roughshod, they're a little bit abrasive, they can punch, they can do whatever. And, 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 but, but when I see the scripture, I see the scripture that, that you can be an amazing impact person and still not be insensitive to people. You can be people aware. You, you, can, you can help galvanize your, 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 you, you, and, and bring people towards a preferable future and do it with the right spirit. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. This is very important. I am really challenging type A personalities right now, which I'm one of them, all right? Remember, they put me under the desk in school. Y'all were sitting up. I was under the desk because I was a hyperactive kid, so I get this, all right? So I'm preaching to myself. If it doesn't apply to you, I'm preaching to myself right now. Here it is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus said, for I am what? Say it. Gentle. Now, it doesn't mean that there was not moments where he had to put the pedal to the metal. When he went into the temple, when he saw the hypocrisy of the priests in the temple, he had a whip and he turned over the tables of the money changers. But his posture and his demeanor is he wasn't edgy. There was a gentleness to his leadership. 
Chuck Swindoll, who I love, some of you guys grew up listening to him. I loved him. Insights for Living. I think he's still on the radio or TV. He's 80-something years old. Phenomenal. Says this, because I, I believe that we need a redefinition of leadership. Here's what he says. He says, in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness. Listen. Being soft and virtually spineless, not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when, heated, when surroundings are heated in our atmosphere. Wow. Everybody say gentleness. St. Francis of Assisi was loved to travel to different towns, and, and he would mentor. He was really a discipler, and I read a bunch of stuff by him and about him, and and he'd like to take little, like, junior monks along with him. And one time they went into this town. And as they were going into this town, they said, today we're going to go preach the gospel. And so they walk into this town, and they're greeting people in alleyways and just different parts. And they're encouraging people and lifting people and, and whatnot. What was so interesting is, is, is they finish the day, and they go and they have a cold drink. And, 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 and the younger junior monk says to, to this colossal religious figure, he says, Sir, I, I thought we were going to go preach the gospel today. And he said, we did. He said, what do you mean we did? He says, every time we shook a hand and were kind to people and loved people and cared for people. Do you remember we stopped and prayed with people? Do you remember, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. He goes, do you remember that person that was hurting? Yeah. And do you remember how we put our arm around that person? There, there's, wow. There, there's, something, there's something about gentleness that that lifts other people. The real test, I think, of our life and leadership is how people feel after we've been with them. Doesn't mean we can't challenge them, but do we leave them lifted or do we leave them lower? Do we leave them inspired or do we leave them discouraged? Paul says, be gentle among them. Two more. The third thing is to live big-hearted. I'm just going through the scripture. Look at verse 8 here. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, words, but also our own lives, actions, because you become dear to us. There's something about congruency in leadership. There's something about that. There's something about nobody's perfect. I'm not suggesting that we have to be perfect, that we never make mistakes. I know we make mistakes. I make mistakes. I get in the flesh sometimes. I say the wrong things. I have attitudes. I understand that. But we want to move towards equivalency where our, our words and our actions for God, there's a, there's, there's a congruency in that. It's not just our words, but it's our lives that we impart into people. Can I tell you what's so powerful? I am so grateful for the day. Do you, do you know how many, how many people that I've talked to, all right, listen to me, that said there was a teacher that believed in me and my life was never the same after that. There was a coach that believed in me. Let me tell you, talking about impact, teachers, coaches, so administrate, let me tell you something. You have one of the greatest opportunities to make a difference and an impact on anybody because you're dealing with our kids. How many of y'all grateful for teachers, coaches, principals, administrators? I mean, you talk about lift. You talk about encourage. Some of you that work with 
Kids that are in internship situations. Maybe they're in college and they're working with it. You have the ability, listen, to not only impart your words, but also your life in them. You, you have the ability to shape. I've had people that have said, Pastor, I was in college. I worked for this man. And because I worked for this man, I was an intern. And because I worked for them, my, I decided to go into that professionally. And my whole life was shifted because of the impact and the impact that he had on my life. Do we realize the impact that we're really having? I mean, it's big. I've had people say that, that I, I had, I had this, this one relationship or I did this one summer job or I took this one course and, 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 and we, can, we can shift the whole trajectory of a person's life based upon us not just saying something but us really taking the time to impart our lives into them. And when we impart our lives into them, oh man, wow, wow. It's like with our kids Love is spelled, and you guys have heard this, T-I-M-E, time. I thank God for the different men that discipled me. And I, I tell you, I was a handful. Oh, my gosh. I know I was. But I thank God that they were patient with me, and they roll up their sleeves, and, and they, 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 they didn't just preach to me, but they, they got involved with my life. That's why I'm so humbled and grateful for the over 800 small group hosts, leaders, whatever, that, that, that literally, that's thousands of people. I, I want to honor, I want to honor all of the small group leaders and hosts that have led through this series. Can we just honor them right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know it's not been easy. I'll, I'll close with this. Paul says that we are, we are to live sacrificially as well. First, Thessalonians, you really want to make an impact on somebody's life? Stay with me. This is so important. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day. Laboring. You see that word laboring? Laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel. It's messy to work with people. It's hard to work with people. It's hard work to really disciple. It's hard work to really be a good leader in work. To really be a good manager. It's hard work to be an excellent teacher. It's hard work to be a coach. It's, it's hard work to, to really communicate and then recommunicate and, and make sure that there's a, clar there's a clarity of thought, that we're all on the same page. It's, it's hard work, but it's worth it. I, I wonder how many people, how many people are in our lives, listen to me, that are right there, but they just need a little bit of help to cross the finish line. I wonder how many kids are right there, but they just need somebody, some coach, some teacher. I wonder how many people that came to your small groups, they just needed somebody. Maybe they said, I used to, you know, go to a church or I was, a, you know, I, but, but, but they, they, they gave this small group like their one last shot at Christianity. And said, I just want to see if anybody just, if anybody responds to me, if anybody calls me back, if anybody, it's people, they're, they're just so close. And I know it's work. It's work to put your arm around somebody. It's work to, 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 to walk with them. I want to show you this, this, this one minute clip and I'll close. You'll be out of here in three minutes. This is one of the most powerful things I've ever, I don't even know where I saw it first, but it vividly depicts what I'm talking about right here. Watch this one minute and I'll be right back to close out. 
There's a reason Johnny Brownlee is one of the world's best triathletes. Like his older brother Alistair, he makes winning look easy. Question, 26 years of age. It has been a fantastic season for this young man. You know, Today's World Series finale looked to be no different. He, he is in trouble. Look, Look at, at him. This. Eden with the finish line just a few hundred metres away. In a second World Series crown in his sights, Johnny hit the wall. He is 400 metres from the finishing line and he does not know where he's at. The Mexican heat too much for the Brit. The 26-year-old's race seemingly over. Alistair's come, come, come. He's got him. Alistair, who's never far from Johnny's shoulder in any race. In the right place at the right time. In a moment that, like no other, captures the bond between brothers. That is the most incredible thing I have ever seen in a triathlon. This is absolutely insane. Here comes Richard Murray. The two Bradleys are trying desperately to get across the line. Oh, my God. Johnny Bradley in second. To be honest, I wish the uh, flipping idiot had just paced it right and crossed the finish line first. So, yeah, I mean, very nice. But, yeah, I mean, he, he won it easy. He could have he jogged that last 2K and, and won the race. But, yeah, who am I to talk? As I said, I've been in that position before, and, it, it, you know, it's as close to death as you're going to be in sport, I think. In that powerful... That accent was so strong, only our worship leaders understood it, you know, from him. <laughs> we need some interpretation, you know, we're from New Orleans, you know what I'm saying? What, what, a, what, a, what a powerful picture. How many people are right there? They're right there. They're right there. I know it's effort. I know it's work. I know it takes time. And some of you guys were coming back home and you, oh my gosh, I got a small group. Pastor Steve told me, talked me into this thing and I got to lead this thing and I just ah! Let me tell you what you were doing. You were just taking some people and you were just, you were just helping them. That's what people did with me. That's what people did with me. See, I, I know what I was like. I, I know, I know, I know what I was like. But I think of the different men that have, 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 have done this with me. I believe that God has called each one of us to make a difference. I believe that God has called each one of us to inspire to influence, and to impact other people. But we've got to be willing. We've got to be willing. I, I, I don't want to get into that hospital room or be in my room or whatever at the end of my life and have a regret, to have a regret that I didn't impact people. I know you don't either. Let's do this thing. Come on, let's do this thing together. How, how many of y'all think it's worth it? Come on. How many of y'all think it's worth it? Let's work it. Let me, let me pray for you.